This is Drew vs. World, a podcast about living, loving, and laughing, getting inspiration through information. Today we have KJ Kearney on the podcast, the founder and the inspiration behind um, Black Food Fridays, which is they have a website, they have an Instagram page, which is mouth watering to say the least. And um, first of all, thank you, KJ, for joining me. No problem. I appreciate you for asking, man. Of course. Again, like 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 I just said, that 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 food page, man. I don't know what it is about food pages. It just sucks me in, and I become enthralled into it. But then, when you have that kind of like cultural like connection to it, it just makes it all the better because it. I can see from not just people within my vicinity in my, you know, 300 miles, I can see out people that are in Louisiana, people that are in Texas, like all these different types of varieties of black people having restaurants and thriving and cooking good damn food, which is, is amazing. So thank you so much for, you know, having that out there. Yeah, no problem. It's been a, um, a labor of love, so to speak. Um, it hasn't felt hard or difficult at any part of this journey. We're not even a year old, so I don't know when people actually hear this, but as of the recording, we're not even a year old. So I'm very thankful for all the opportunities that have come from me sharing the greatness of Black people in the food and beverage space. So first and foremost, how did you get, How what was the thought to create this space to um, showcase different Black food and beverage professionals? Yeah, um, to be honest, uh, before I so I started Black Food Fridays on April 5th of 2020. And in oh, wow. February, I tweeted out a list of all these black owned restaurants that were open in Charleston area. And um, it got a lot of, you know, I got a lot of play. Um, people picked up on it, was sharing it, retweeting it. And a friend of mine um, who I love dearly, she basically cursed me out and was like, that's very immature of you to do right now. We don't know, you know, mind you, this is February. Mm. So in February, we didn't know what COVID could do. We, I mean, we still don't know 100%, but we had much less information in February of 2020 than we do now. And so she was like, I understand what you're trying to do. And I think it's noble, but you might be leading people to their death by encouraging them to go to these restaurants and spread this thing. And we don't know how it spreads and none of this stuff. And so I took the, the tweet down, but I never lost that ideal of trying to support black owned restaurants, mm-hmm. especially because I knew during any um, natural disaster or pandemic or recession or whatever, uh, black businesses are going to be hurt disproportionately hard. And so um, April, I was writing a book about Beyonce and civic engagement, and I decided I needed a break. And so because I'm a nerd doing, you know, other mental work is how I find relief from the from the work I'm doing currently. And so I was like, all right, well, you know what? I'm just going to start an Instagram. Um, it took me maybe 30 minutes to set up. I, you know, got the the Gmail. The, I made a Canva a logo in Canva <laughs> in like 10 minutes. You know, this I had planned on this just being a good side mental exercise where I could show the black owned restaurants that were open during COVID. And um, it just, it kind of took off from there, man. And it became something much bigger than I initially intended to be. So what was your, why did you create this first list in the first place? Was it just something that happened, you know, you just created it just to create it? Or did you already see where the pandemic was happening? Like, what was your thought process actually creating a list first? Yeah, uh, very good question. So in February, the matter of fact, the first day of Black History Month last year, um, I created a Google Maps list because I found out you can create mm-hmm. maps on Google Maps mm-hmm. or lists, excuse me, on lists, Google Maps. Yep. Yeah, so I made this list of all these different Black-owned restaurants in the Charleston metro area. And it went viral as far as, you know, something can go viral in one city. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it got shared, I don't know, five, 6,000 times. You know, it, it just went everywhere. That's really what started the bug, you know? Yeah. And the following month, I made that list on Twitter that my friend cursed me out for. <laughs> and then April, we get to Black Food Friday. So 
once I saw how people responded to the food post and their willingness to think outside themselves and help other people, specifically in the food space, that thought just lingered from February until April 5th when I decided to start Black Food Fridays. Yeah, it's funny that you say that, too, because we have uh, um, we in Charlotte, we have this thing. Um, it's like it's kind of like Black Food Fridays, um, but it's Black Food Truck Fridays. Um, and during the I think the spring and the summertime, every it's either last Friday or maybe I'm getting this completely wrong, but it's one Friday of yeah. the month where people all the black food truck, black owned food trucks come out and they, you know, they have. Everybody come out, they have music, you know, people just selling whatever they get selling. And it's usually pretty dope. And it highlights that, you know, there's a predominantly a good amount of black food trucks, period. Um, and then a, there's a good amount of black restaurateurs that are trying to, you know, get the wares out as well. Because they, you know, there's also, you know, people, of course, you know, if you're going to have food trucks, they're going to be people be selling, you know, incense. There's going to be oh. people selling, you know, uh uh, which you call a sage and all that stuff. So there's going to be those different like tables too. So it highlights other people too. Um, so I, when I saw that Black Fruit Truck Friday, it really kind of resonated with me because even during that time you're talking about, when I was thinking the kind of the same way as you were, that Black owned restaurants were going to get hit the hardest as far as, you know, food is concerned. So it was every day in March. No, not every day in March. Every weekend in March and April, um, me and my, well, my current fiance, we, uh, we patroned a black owned business, black owned business or black owned restaurant. And it was just like, boom, like gangbusters. I was like, okay, cool. And then you see a lot of people kind of circling and you see that a lot of people were thinking kind of the same way you were thinking was like, hey, we got to support these people before they go out of business. So it's, it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing that you again showcase these black these black owned restaurants, these black owned uh, businesses. So I would like to ask, like, where where was your favorite place to either research or go to? Um, let's start from in your area, and then what was the best place to you research or went to outside of your area as far as the restaurant? Oh, okay, this is easy. So. <laughs> I'm going to name two restaurants in Charleston that are black owned, but now defunct because of COVID. Um, one is Kane Rumbar, C-A-N-E Rumbar. Okay. It was ran by uh, a gentleman named Paul who was from Barbados. He had a wall of rum all over the world. Um, and, you know, they had really good, you know, finger food, Caribbean inspired finger food. The second place was Mama Gloria's Trinidadian Cuisine. Um, they had doubles. It's the only place in the city that sold doubles. They had doubles, roti, you know, shrimp curry, all kind of stuff. Um, shark bake. I love the shark bake. Um, and they didn't really close so much because of COVID. They closed because their landlord was a jerk and wouldn't, um, you know, fix some things that was in contract. So they had to take them to court. Um, I th I'm sure COVID didn't help anything. Mm -hmm. And then a place that is open in Charleston that I, uh, I frequent a lot is a place called Nana's Uptown. Um, in Charleston, we're, you know, we're surrounded by two rivers and the Atlantic Ocean. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a lot of seafood in Charleston. And they are one of the best Black-owned seafood restaurants that you'll find in the area. In terms of places that are not in Charleston that I've written, written about and, and got to witness like in, in person, it's not as many as I would like because we're in COVID, you know, trying to be responsible. But in the DMV area, we got uh, Poppy Cuisine in Baltimore with the colossal crab egg rolls, bro. It's, ugh. Mm -hmm. I've, this is the only food I've ever posted. And then when I saw it in real life, it was just as amazing, you know, not to say that other food doesn't look as good, but it was just as amazing. Mm -hmm. And then there's a bakery in D.C. called Souk, S-O-U-K. Um, they are amazing. I mean, they just everything they touch seems to turn to gold, man. Like I, every time I go to D.C., I don't care if I just pick up a muffin or a cookie like I want to support Souk. Their stuff is really good. So those are four. 
or five, I guess, restaurants that um, Nana's you can still go to, Souk you can still go to, Poppy's Cuisine in Baltimore you can still go to. The, I've been to uh, Poppy's before. I haven't been to Souk, but I will try that next time. Um, is there, so I don't want to say what's the worst place you went to, but I, because I don't want you to put it out there, but I would, I would like to ask you, what's, what makes a bad experience for you when you go to a restaurant? I think I'm much more forgiving than a lot of other people, because not only do I document black, you know, uh, food and beverage uh, businesses, I understand from a research standpoint, because, you know, going back to the part that I'm a nerd, a lot of these black owned restaurants have been started with as little as five thousand dollars in capital. You know, um, they are designated by the government as uh, there's a term. It's basically like employee based businesses, which means that the owner and the phrase is not correct. I'm going to have to send you the correct phrase afterwards. But basically, the owner of that restaurant is also manning the ship you know so they own the restaurant they they're running the register they're frying the chicken you know they're washing the 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 place they're doing everything so um there's not a lot of capital to invest in staff and therefore invest in staff training right um so i'm a little bit more forgiving than i think most people would be i will say one thing that i can't stand no matter what restaurant i'm going to whoever owns it is an unreasonable wait, mm. right? Like if it's really busy and it takes me 30 minutes to get my food, I'm not tripping. So long as you set that expectation, let me know it's going to take 30 minutes. Let me know it's going to take an hour. You know, if I really want the food, I'll wait. But like when they be like, yo, it'll be like 10, 15 minutes. And then it's two hours later. You know what I mean? Like that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, these restaurants, they don't have a lot of capital or resources to invest in the business. So they don't have enough chefs or they don't have enough people expediting the food out. So I try to be forgiving. But sometimes, you know, things like an extended wait for no reason, not for no reason, but an extended wait without explanation. I can't. I don't like that. Yeah. And, and are you talking about a wait for the food or a wait to just food. sit down? Okay, okay. Nah, nah, food. Yeah. Don't sit me down, bro. Like just I, I'd rather <laughs> stand outside and wait than to sit down and wait an hour and a half for my food to get here. Like, that's, nah, just sit me at the bar. Let me order a drink and sit outside or something. Sorry, are you originally from Charleston? I am. I'm from North Charleston. That's where I live at. I'm still here. Okay, so um, what is your kind of, like, background as far as, you know, um, just in Charleston area and... Are you familiar with like the Geechee culture? I don't know. It was it is it called? The, no, you, you know you are absolutely right. I am culture. I am Gullah Geechee. There we um, go. And that means someone who is um, a descendant of the West Africans who were enslaved and brought over to America, uh, forcibly mm-hmm. brought over to America. I'm a descendant, so I do classify myself as a Gullah Geechee person. Mm-hmm. Our our cuisine is very much. First of all, what people don't realize is the Gullah Geechee culture is the first black American born culture, right? Like we were the first black people to create a culture. That culture became the foundation for almost everything that you see in the, in black culture, in American black culture today. So when we talk about seafood, you talk about soul food, you talk about Southern cooking, like that's all rooted in, you know, what my ancestors created. Our cuisine is very much based in seafood and vegetables. So, you know, Gullah Geechee cuisine is going to be a lot of fresh caught fish, shrimp, crabs, um, on the vegetable tip, rice, rice with everything. We, I can eat mm-hmm. rice every day of the week. I think I'm genetically predisposed to eating rice. Um, obviously, you know, grits, but a lot of vegetables, you know, greens, uh, all kinds of greens, not just collard greens, turnip greens, you know, mm-hmm. the whole nine. Um, and so, yeah, so it's a very vegetable and seafood heavy diet that we have. And then again, you know, like I said, that starts the foundation of what would become soul food, Southern cooking, so forth and so on, or, or black people food or black American food, however you want to classify it. 
So is uh, the Geechee culture also a part of the Caribbean American, well, Caribbean culture as well? Is there any, like, because it, well, everybody, I, it seems like every queen has like two things. They have a bread and then they have a type of rice, right? <laughs> so <laughs> that's every, they all, from, from anywhere, they always share that different types of like connection. So yeah. is it, is that, as those kind of cross pollinating the Caribbean and the Geechee culture? Yeah, I mean, yes, to be answered, to answer your question succinctly, yes, Mm -hmm. because when you think about the transatlantic slave trade, a lot of people think that it was just West Africa to Charleston or West Africa (laughs) to Virginia. Right. Like, and that's not the case. A lot of times they would go to what we now know as Barbados or, you know, or right. Shout out to Barbados. Um, (laughs) Oh, word. Okay, I got an LB from Barbados. And so, yeah, so, you know, you you, you get you go to Barbados and some of these other Caribbean islands and then they go up to Charleston from there. So um, and then like you got a place like um, the Bahamas where you had a lot of British loyalists who were like, I'm not getting in this revolutionary war. I'm not I'm not having no part of that. I'm going to take my slaves and we go into this island that's right off Florida, like right off the Florida coast. So between Charleston, Bahamas and Barbados, there is a lot of similarities from like dialect, language, and cuisine. In fact, um, I told you about my friend who had cursed me out. She's from the Bahamas. And when we had that Charleston massacre, when, you know, he who shall not be named murdered nine black people in the church, a lot of people from the Bahamas thought that he had murdered a bunch of Bahamians in America because our accent it's so close to the Bahamas. It's very close. Like, I'm not, I mean, you know, I'm trying to speak in a way where everybody can understand, but if I wanted to turn it on, I could, people have said like, oh, you sound like you're from some kind of island or mm-hmm. something. Um, so yeah, you know, so a lot of people in the Bahamas was up in arms, bro. They was like, they're killing Bahamians in America. What's going on? <laughs> they don't play that. So that just answers your question that. that the connection is there, you know? Yeah. That's 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 dope, and I always uh, I've been to only Charleston only once, and that the the dialect, like you said, is very similar to like going on a Bahamian island, and because one of my exact one of my LBs, he's from the Bahamas, so just mm-hmm. that like cross, I'm like, oh man, I, I don't know if she's from Charleston or she's from the Bahamas. Like right, <laughs> most of the time, yeah. I'm like, or is he like, like it's always kind of like a pick your poison. You just got to ask the person like and figure right, it out. Right, right. Uh, so um, as far as the Black Food Fridays, what is your, I guess, the next step or where do you want to take it to um, moving forward? Oh, easy. Two things, a book and a TV show. Ooh. Um. I feel like a television show, a a book is important for me personally. Like I want to write a book for me, but I want it to be published by, you know, a a respected publisher to make sure that the book is the cuisine in the book that's going to be discussed is uh, elevated or at least seen on a certain level. Mm -hmm. Not that black people food needs validation, but, you know, you got to play the game. There are certain publishers where if this publisher publishes a book, other people are going to take that more seriously, the content more seriously. So I could have written a book a long time ago if I wanted, but I want to wait for that opportunity. And it's presenting itself now. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll be able to announce something. Um, but also the TV show, like television makes things real. It makes things important for many people. So, mm-hmm. you know, a television show that is dedicated to showcasing all the beauty and splendor that is within the black food and beverage space will then elevate that cuisine to levels unknown, right? And then other people will hopefully, that's the whole purpose behind Black Food Fridays, become more intentional about supporting black owned businesses because they've seen it on TV, right? It makes it a real thing for them. That, those are my two immediate goals, TV show, book. Yeah, and if I don't know if you watch like Diners, Drivers, and Dives, and mm-hmm. you know all that stuff on the Food Network, I've 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 never seen, and to your point, like something like straight directed to black food in. A, when I see those restaurants in those like Diners, Drivers, and Dives, I'm always like, oh, wow, why don't they showcase like take a bunch of those and showcase them all in one you know section and like. 
because majority of the times it's it'll be like somebody's grandma. Like for instance, uh, the I don't know if you know this. this I forgot what the name of the restaurant is. It's an old old um, restaurant in New Orleans, and this woman she's been running a restaurant. Probably to your point that she's the employer. She's doing everything. She's still frying chicken. She's probably in her like nineties now, and she's been cooking this food forever. And you know. I think um, she said Martin Luther King and his crew had like meetings there and everything like that. And I'm like, if you show more people like there are historic places like this, then there won't be, you won't have to garnet. Like now there's like a push, like, oh, we're trying to, you know, even on Yelp, they're like, hey, we're trying to put black, black um, restaurants on the map. It would just be there. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so if you ever need somebody to host that show <laughs> or be a part of it or just eat the food or just right. give a couple of places, like, please let me know, because I'm right. speaking to existence. You definitely could do that. Definitely with the, you know, because I read a couple of your articles and they're amazing, man. Like, Thank honestly, you. amazing. And they, they they're in a tone of voice that they're like. It's. It's like to- it's like we're talking now, you know. That's, you know, sometimes, yeah, yeah, sometimes you get a food blog that's very pretentious, but it's not pretentious, and I, that's mm-hmm. what I love about it. And I appreciate you so much for being in that space and highlighting again. I would say the word showcasing um, black food, beverage, and you know, restaurant tours. It's it's amazing. Um, Thank you. Next next question um, for as far as. Your personal, you, I hear you say, you say you're in school. What, what you're studying? What's, what's, what's going on? <laughs> uh, I'm actually in a film lab. Nice. I'm dead serious about this TV show thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I'm in a film lab. It's uh, called Indie, um, Indie Grits. It's a film lab okay. for South Carolinians who are interested in breaking into that space, that, that Hollywood space, whether it be documentaries, feature films, television shows, you know, limited series, whatever. And so our um, our mentor is a, a woman, black woman named Effie Brown, E-F-F-I-E Brown. She produced the movie um, Dear White People. Yes. Yeah. And there's, you know, other stuff that she's okay, done. I could go on and on and on. But that's her most. That's the one that most black people would be like, "Oh, okay, I've seen that movie." <laughs> so mm-hmm. she, she, and along with a gentleman named Brad James and uh, Doctor Thaddeus, they uh, kind of run the class. And so we meet every couple weeks online to talk about. You know, we have to write show bibles, treatments. You know, the whole nine. So yeah, this this whole thing is gearing us to pitch network executives or potential producers. So that we can try to get our projects made. And I'm thankful to say that I'm very far along in that process. I've already pitched a talent agent. Um, and so, you know, I'm a little further ahead than some of my peers, but it's because I've been able to build my own platform. Mm. So people come to me instead of me just having to like try to find somebody to, to talk to this show about or show ideal about. That's still how, how did you find that? The film lab? Well, um, I'm friends with um, Brad, one of the coaches. Okay, and you know we we were having beer one day, a beer one day, and he was like, "You should apply for this film lab." And I was like, "Man, you know, I've always wanted to do a TV show, but I don't know how to make a film. I don't know how to do that." He's like, "That's what the lab was for." Exactly. <laughs> so uh, me and another friend actually, we both applied. In fact, I forgot about applying. I ain't gonna lie to you, Drew. My <laughs> friend applied. And he called me earlier that day, you know, and he was like, yo, did you apply for the, you know, for the film lab? And I was like, bro, I totally forgot. And if I'm not mistaken, I had definitely been drinking. So I had to like stop what I was doing, rush home and like type up my proposal. Literally, I submitted it 1201. You know, I was a minute late, technically. But yeah, they read my proposal, my idea, and they accepted me with open arms. And I'm very thankful for everything that they have taught, not just me, but the whole class. I think everybody has benefited from this because, you know, you would if you watch TV, it would make you seem like if you're not from L.A. or Atlanta or New York or Miami, you know, like there's no place for you in these in this entertainment industry. And what this lab is showing me is a that's a lie. And B, mm-hmm. you just have to have a certain level of competence and um, understanding. And if you have those things, it can open doors for you. 
So did they did they teach you also how to write a script as well? Um, no, but because everybody's shows don't require scripts. Like my show mm-hmm. doesn't require a script. Yes, yes. You know, yes. I want to be like drive, like you said, triple D, right? Like mm-hmm. I want to be like that. There will be some scripted work in that, right? But the majority of it is unscripted. Yes. It's my ability to interview. It's my ability to ask those questions that people are thinking and, you know, and, and make people feel at ease while they're on camera and cooking and talking about themselves and their business. So for me, I had to create a lookbook Yes. A show Bible. And um, there was this documentary form that they made me fill out. Um, but yeah, like that was that was my written work. And now we're working on crafting pitches, like taking all that information, refining it and then being able to, like I said, you only got two or three minutes when you're talking to somebody yeah. to be able to like pitch your idea so they can get what they're coming for, where you're coming from. And even if they're like, I get it, but that's not for me. Cool. At least they understand what you're trying to do. Exactly. That, and that's the that's the point. Getting the point across so they can make that distinction and that, mm-hmm. that decision. That's that's a dope. And you you talked a little bit about your interview process. So I you also have a podcast, correct? So I don't know how you got that information, bro. But <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm um I'm gonna be signing a contract actually this week. Awesome. To uh, co-host a podcast with my friend um, Anella Malik from Feed the Malik. Nice. Um, and so we're going to be joining this brand new food and beverage based uh, podcast network. Mm-hmm. I think there'll be like 10 shows on the network starting out. We're one of the first 10. Nice. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't have a podcast yet, but I'm yes, I will in a couple months. So. Good scoop, Drew. <laughs> uh, brother was doing his research. Don't know. Don't worry how I got it, but I got right. it. You uh, got it, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, so I see it like on your page a lot that you also you already do interviews with people, and mm-hmm. I, I um. So what is your interview process, and mm-hmm. uh, also what is, I, I see you do, do like reels and TikToks like that. Let's go into reels and TikToks because I always I'm always like. How do you get your your content for your reels and your TikToks? Like, what is your like when you go into mm-hmm. them? What do you, what what are you thinking? Because yeah. I, I can't I can't get to it. <laughs> so I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm literally today or tomorrow, starting March first. No, I posted one this morning. So um, I hadn't really done reels. Okay, you know what I mean. Like I've been, just been on Instagram. I've just been focused on the Instagram live interviews. Yes, and then posting. You know, every single day I post every single day, okay. multiple times a day on Instagram. Um, with TikTok, though, I, well, let me just say this: I'm going to start doing reels because now I know what I want to do with reels. Right? Mm. I'm not the kind of person that feels pressured into just because there's a new platform or a new feature that I got to go do that thing immediately. Like, it's okay to let other people, right, go through the process, take the lumps so you can learn from them. What mm-hmm. Jay-Z said, Hove did that, so hopefully you wouldn't have to you go through that, that, that. Mm-hmm. right? And so that's what I do. I just let people, other people who want to put the time and energy to learn the platform, right, let them do their thing and then come on, give me the game. And so with TikTok, the focus is knowledge. It's an education, right? I don't do dances or anything like that. I tried in the beginning. But I was like, it was, you know, that just wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, and so I did uh, Black Food Facts on the TikTok. So it was more about history and, you know, and understanding the process and the people who make some of these things go, the Black people in specific who make some of these things go in the food and beverage space. On Instagram, it's about, you know, food porn, so to speak. Mm-hmm. All right. But then with the reels, what I think I'm going to do is just more more of the food porn stuff, mm-hmm. but in 30 second video bites because they want reels. They want you to make reels because they're trying to compete with TikTok. Exactly. So they're going to elevate like no. Yeah, they're going to elevate it. So like no, no, no joke. I'm looking at my Instagram right now and I posted a reel this this morning. Yeah, I posted a reels this morning and it already has six thousand seven hundred views. Yep. Right. Like. A regular video that I post on Instagram will not get that right now. I'm not getting that kind of engagement on my regular videos. Exactly. But on Reels, 30 seconds, boom, 
that thing is already at 6,000 views and that's only been an hour, you know, maybe two hours at the max. So I think it's smart to have a specific plan for each platform. What I found is that reduces anxiety, right? Like I don't have to worry about what I have to do on this reels, right? Because I already know what my reels are for and I already know what my TikTok is for. So if there's a, if there's an idea that I have and it doesn't fit the TikTok format, then guess what? That anxiety is gone because I ain't doing it there. Um, and I would suggest other people do that. You're right. Like you can just make one piece of content and repurpose it. I think that is smart if you can do it well. But also, I think it's smart to categorize yourself or stratify your 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 content strategy. Yes. And make certain platforms be for certain things. That way you don't burn yourself out or have to worry about whether or not your audience on Twitter is going to respond the same way as this, because it should be different. And, well, in how I think of it, each platform should be serving a different purpose. That's awesome. And um, as far as your, your interviews on your Instagram, have you, have you just been starting that or has that been kind of like long going? I think it's been kind of long going. It's one of the longest things outside of just posting food that I've been doing. Yeah. Um, and I have to give a shout out to Mr. Foodtastic, who, who is a co-owner in a company that was on Shark Tank last night, and they got funded. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So Mr. Hey. Foodtastic, Chef Jamoki Jackson in Brooklyn, New York, um, he had like he had like fifty thousand followers on Instagram, and I was like, I'm gonna just reach out to this man and see if he'll let me interview him, and he said, Yeah. And so that's kind of where it started. Like this yeah. dude who didn't know me from a can of paint. With all these followers, he was like, yeah, I don't got nothing else to do. Let's do it. <laughs> and so we did it. And it, that definitely snowballed into me getting opportunities to, to interview other people, not just on my platform, but I have a partnership with the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. And so once a month, I take over their Instagram and I interview people, excuse me, on their Instagram as well. That's awesome. How did, how did you get that Charleston Wine and Food Festival connect? Um, so a friend of mine is on the board of directors and she had been trying to get me to come to the festival for a while. And I was like, I'm not going, I'm going to be honest. I was like, that's some white people stuff. Like I'm not (laughs) spending, I'm not spending $400 to eat. Like I'm not doing that. Um, but they needed someone to host an event. They asked me to host it because it was kind of like in the, in my wheelhouse of, I wrote a proclamation for red rice day. So the city of Charleston has a red rice day um, that they acknowledge. um, And I'm working on the state level as well to make it a statewide holiday. But anyway, they knew I wrote about the red rice um, uh, proclamation, excuse me. And so they asked me to host this event. So I did it, which means I got an expert badge, which means I got to go pretty much anywhere in the festival that I wanted. Mm. And so when I went through the festival, I was like, I would pay to do this. You know, like after being <laughs> being in the festival, I was like, I see why people spend their money to come to this festival. It is spectacular. And that started a real relationship between me, the executive director, and then, you know, my friend Mamie, who's a who's a board member of just like, OK, well, what are some other things that we can do together? And because of COVID slowing everyone down. We got a chance to really get to know each other. It wasn't just based on business. It was like, well, it's not like y'all can throw events. I can't throw events. So let's take our time. Like, you know, let's hop on the phone. Let's hop on some chats and let's just talk. And that's how that friendship and that actual business partnership um, came through. And they were very adamant about, you know, because they had heard a lot of rumors and they were justified, too, of how this festival brings in all this money and doesn't really pay the people who participate. Mm. you know what i mean and so while they haven't paid me directly for a lot of work they have paid me for things and they have opened doors for me that i could not have opened without them you know so payment doesn't always have to come in the form of a check although checks are awesome and they Mm. do give me checks sometimes but they also open doors for me and they introduce me to people that i would not have been able to you know do on my own without them so it's a I think it's a beneficial partnership for both of us. Yeah. And um, so you have all these, you know, things going on and all these, you know, uh, 
pots on the stove, basically. What is first of all, what is your day to day job? Right. Mm-hmm. And secondly, um, how do you organize all these to not make like you, you bring up anxiety to not make yourself anxious about all the things that you have going on? Yeah. Um, very good question. So, number one, I do a very good job at finessing. I'm a pro level, you know, finesser, super saiyan finesser. So, like, I'm, you know, I'm on Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And so this morning I was laying in bed. I joined Clubhouse. There was a conversation with black chefs and foodies. And I was, you know, talking and somebody asked me the same question, bro. It's like, how are you so prolific? Um, you ever you ever you ever watched or listened to Hamilton, the play? Yeah. Yeah. And you know how they're like, how I've seen it live. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> how do you how do you write like you're running out of time, time writing, yeah. and, you know, because. I am really good at setting time aside to just knock out a bunch of work because mm-hmm. I'm one of those dudes that believe in working smart and not hard. Mm-hmm. I, I'm the guy who would rather work 10 hours a week and make a million dollars than 40 hours a week and make a hundred million dollars. If it means that I'm going to have to like worry myself to death, put pressure on other people, you know, put worry and anxiety and negative energy on other people to get this thing done. Cause I want to reach this arbitrary number. Mm-hmm. So like on Sundays I'll schedule, like I'll sit in bed, bro. I'll schedule like seven posts, you know, like in that hour, two hour period, I'm just laying in bed. And then later on that day, I'll schedule seven more posts. Right. And just have it where it just comes out every, you know, five in the morning, 12 in the afternoon and sometime in the evening. Right. So it looks like I'm on the Internet all the time, (laughs) but I'm not. I don't want to be on the Internet all the time. It's draining to be on the Internet all the time. So creating systems allows me to look more proficient than I um, really am. Mm -hmm. People think I have a team of people. It's not. Not yet. Mm -hmm. It's just me. So um, I'm doing the TikTok. I'm writing the script for the TikTok. I'm doing the Instagram. I'm doing all that stuff. Um, but I just schedule my time. I'm just like, hey, oh, I live and die by my calendar. Oh, yeah. Like if it's not on my calendar, I'm not doing it. You know, whether it's an interview, whether it's writing a column for somebody or whatever, like if I don't put it on the calendar, I ain't doing it because I'm not trying to do work if I don't have to do work. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I want my work time to be purposeful. Like, I don't believe in busy, like just being busy for the sake of being busy. So you can go on the Internet and tell everybody I ain't slept in three days. (laughs) Like, that's not that's not cool, bro. Especially as we get older, you'll die like that. So, um, yeah, I'm not that guy. Hey, good. So you you didn't touch on like, so what's your day to day job? Is it is there a writer? No, um, no. My day to day job is I work in public education. So, okay. um, yeah, right now I'm working at an elementary school. I'm, I'm my position is student concerns specialist. So what I do is I uh, do behavior modification, behavior management, uh, positive behavior intervention systems, restorative justice. You know, I might have to write some referrals, process some referrals, talk to some parents about referrals. But really, my job is to make sure that kids are comfortable. Um, and so we can prevent disciplinary action, right? Like I, I tell mm. my kids all the time, if you're if you're feeling grouchy, don't take it out on your teacher. Come to my mm. office. Let's talk. Right. Take a 10 minute nap. You know, I'll give you a piece of candy, whatever. I'm not above bribing a kid because <laughs> <laughs> number one. These teachers are overwhelmed, especially mm-hmm. during COVID. So anything I can do to lighten the load for them, I'm, I'm more than happy to do. But then number two, kids are human beings just like we are. Like they are grouchy. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. Some of the things that some of these children go through, I have never experienced in my yes. life. Yes. You know what I mean? And so when you get to know the kids and you understand their story, it doesn't condone their behavior but it gives you a different level of respect for why they're doing that and a different perspective on maybe how to combat that behavior. Right. Like I, I used to coach basketball for this um, elementary school in the hood, you know, in North in Charleston. And um, I took one of my players home and he had a two uh, story apartment that they lived in. The floors, the stairs, everything was cement. 
Now, I want you to think about what it's like growing up in a place where everything is semen, right? That means you're going to be a lot rougher on things because things don't break easily. Mm -hmm. That translates into how you treat other people's stuff. Because in your house, everything's unbreakable. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so you kind of carry it when you're in fourth grade, third grade, you carry that mentality wherever you go. So it's not so much that the kid is destructive, but in their life, the likelihood of things getting destroyed is slim to none. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's just one example of how when you build a positive relationship with children, um, you get to learn more about them and then you become a better servant to them and helping them out with whatever issues they have going on. So is that a new like role position? Because I didn't have that growing up. <laughs> I, I like definitely didn't have that growing up. And I definitely think that you're doing uh, I'm not the most religious guy, but you're doing God's work like that is you're basically helping people with their mental helping children with their mental health, which is. Yeah. And, yeah. In a very small way. Um, yeah. Is it a new position? I don't know, because when I was in school, I was again, I was a nerd. So I ain't getting too much trouble. So even if there was a student concern specialist at my school, I ain't, I wasn't interacting with them. You know, I had a little period of time where I was wilding out in middle school, just trying to like fit in. Um, and after my mom beat the brakes off me a couple of times, I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm not about this thug life, bro. Like I'm not, <laughs> you know, if these girls don't like me, they just don't like me. Like I'm not trying to impress nobody. I got to go home to this woman and, and my father, you know what I mean? Like I'm not, no, I'm good on that. It's funny that you say that too, because I would class myself, classify myself as a nerd too, like beard, and I had that exact same time frame. I don't know if it's is your if your balls drop or something like that, but yeah. it's around that time frame where I see like boys just like on a whole nother level try to just like either be who somebody they're not or try to fit in a lot more than they even do in high school which is interesting maybe because they're trying to come into their own but i had that same type of thing of like but i always been a fighter because i grew up in brooklyn so you had Mm. to know how to fight and then and i always like if somebody punk you you got to fight them if somebody try to rob you you got to fight them if somebody try to you know there's always be a lot of altercations um and I did have somebody like that, but we had um in-house suspension. So I I got mm. this is a short small story. So it's called in-house suspension. So I got um into a fight in class, and I and basically just just while and just got into a fight at class, and it was like, hey, you're in-house suspended. Okay, so we I had to go to school, and I had to go to this one room, and this one room uh which call it for the whole day, and just they give you your schoolwork, and that's all you do. You stay in there for like a week. And then after I got out of that, they put me into this program. And the reason why I tell this story is because when I got into this program, which is, is APA, which, which is like art, performing arts, they, they put me in band and I, I learned how to play the saxophone. And then in playing the saxophone, I sat down and talked to uh, my teacher was this real like hippy dippy black guy, right? Real Afrocentric dreadlocks, like African chain, real like smell like incense, all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and he put me on so much stuff. Like he was like every every Wednesday and every Wednesday and Thursday, everybody needs to either bring a clip, um, bring a clip of newspaper, and then explain the the article in the newspaper, or they have to um have like some po- poetry that they want to read, or or they have to have a book that they want to give a book review of every Wednesday Thursday. And if you didn't bring that. In he would sit you down. He'd be like, "Okay, you got thirty minutes to figure something out," <laughs> and you read that, and that just in the longevity because I was always smart, and I think the problem that I had was that I was ahead of my peers, mm. and I, you know, you know how would they stay tell children, "Oh, he's just he's just being you know bad because he don't got nothing to do or something like that," or he's ahead of his peers. So. It, it's funny that they have somebody like that because I think that your role would be super beneficial. It's, it's super beneficial to children, um, definitely nowadays, because like you said, they, you, we, we've never experienced this time of life. Um, but I want to be, uh, yeah, I want to be, uh, what you call it? Yep. I want to be, uh, uh, I want to be uh, graces of your time and people are going to see that five on the um, video, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what you call it? I won't get into the section I like to call Shots Fired. So Shots Fired's Elevated Icebreakers is about 15 to 20 questions. Um, it gets 
very simple at the beginning and then gets a lot more double provoking at the end. Um, so first thing that comes to your head, just let it fly. Cool? Cool. Let's do it. All right. And this is Shots Fired. What's your favorite color? Black. What's your favorite sport? College football. What's your favorite movie? Ooh, he got game. Okay. What's your favorite cereal? Um, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Okay. Yeah, there we go. What's your favorite drink? Alcoholic or non-alcoholic? Alcoholic. Uncle Nearest. Ooh, um, okay. There we go. whiskey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your favorite TV show? Oh, God. Atlanta. Okay. What movie do you hate to love? That I hate to love. Mm-hmm. That you, oh, you like, like a movie that is bad, but I like it anyway. Exactly. Mm. You know what? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I like every movie. Like I'm not the kind of person that's going to sit through a movie that I don't like. So I think all. Uh, no. Let me answer a question. Let me answer the question. A movie that I I liked, but it, I don't think it's that good. Is it's going to be blasphemy spike lee's she's gotta have it Mm. the movie i enjoy but i don't think it was that well done the tv show they did on netflix is way better than my opinion than the movie i i don't not agree with you um (laughs) (laughs) um and what's one place you want to visit that you haven't yet oh the bahamas and barbados okay um, what fictional world would you want to visit? Wakanda. Okay. As a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Marine biologist. Nice. You're going to have one fictional character as an imaginary friend. Who would it be? As an imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. One character. Oh, Blade. Nice. Um, if you had a time machine, would you go forward in time or back in time? Ooh, that's spicy. <laughs> forward. Um, who's your celebrity crush? Tiffany Cross. Okay. Um, what's your favorite type of music? Hip hop. Who's your favorite artist? And it doesn't have to be a musical artist. It's anybody whose art brings um, emotion to you. <sighs> Bro, I can list like 10 people. So let me just do <laughs> five off the top of my head. Um, Fletcher Williams III. He's a visual artist. He's based here in North Charleston. Kahinde Wiley, who is also a visual artist. I think he's in New York City. Uh, Kanye West. Tyler, the creator. And um, Beyonce. Nice. What song would be looped in your hell? Um, Baby Shark. <laughs> Who would you change places with for one day? Will Smith. What would be the name of your autobiography? Mm. The Great State of Charleston. Okay. If you had a talk show... Who would be your first guest, alive or dead? And what would you ask them? Master P. And I would want to know how he transitioned from the hip-hop game to the food game. Gotcha. What superpower would you want to have? Does, does vibranium suit count as a superpower, though? No, the purple heart. Give me that purple heart, okay, bro. Okay, okay. Let me get that purple heart. <laughs> um, what's the most out of character thing you've ever done? Oh. Mm. I wouldn't I don't think I have anything that's out of character because if you know me, even the bad stuff I've done made sense. Got you. <laughs> what is your death row meal La- or last meal of life? I need an app. I need an entree and I need dessert. Last meal ever. Mm-hmm. Good. All right. So I want those colossal crab rolls from Poppy Cuisine. That's my appetizer. My dinner is going to be 
the red rice and fried fish from Virgil's Gullet Kitchen in College Park, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And my dessert is probably going to be, I love the stuffed chocolate chip cookies, the stuffed Nutella stuffed chocolate chip cookies from Swank Desserts in Somerville, South Carolina. Ooh, okay. And that's Shots Fired. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so um, can you just tell people where they can find you and how they can get in contact with you and how they can see all the amazing things you got going on? Yeah, I appreciate you, first of all, Drew, for having me. And if you want to find me, y'all, I'm Black Food Fridays with an S on the end of Friday on Instagram and on TikTok. I have a Twitter account, but I very, very rarely tweet from there. So don't worry about that. Um, Join my mailing list by visiting BlackFoodFridays.com. You can follow me on Patreon if you want to support me financially directly. Look for Black Food Fridays. Um, And then... Last but not least, man, um, I just want to say thank you to you, Drew, for, you know, reaching out and giving me the opportunity to get in front of your crowd and let them know about what we have going on here. And, you know, from the great city of North Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, I'm definitely next time I'm out there, man, I'll definitely get get in contact with you. I got to see all the places (laughs) for sure. Um, Again, the last thing we do on the podcast is say our... um, catchphrase and the catchphrase which actually will be pretty apt for this for this episode is love peace chicken grease <laughs> so whenever nice. you're ready just hit, hit us with the hit us with the um catchphrase love peace and chicken grease and that was dope so this has been another episode of drew versus the world 